Father, it does feel like you're up to something unique this morning. I'm not sure quite what it is, but um, I pray that we wouldn't miss it. As I ask every week, Father, I, I do pray that your word would bring life, that we, we would hear it with our ears, our minds could comprehend it, our hearts would have fertile soil, our feet would be willing to run with obedience, Father. May our eyes, yes, see it. So bless today's service. May we, may we bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a unique time to be alive. A bunch of what we see in the book of Revelation appears to be coming to pass. And often what ends up happening is generations believe that it's their time, and then generations, the end hasn't come during their generation. But more and more things are coming to pass. Now, it is quite frightening, but I did hear, uh, I don't know how much you put into news media, as I do not put much into it. I believe that if you ask my honest opinion, maybe back in the 70s and 80s, they reported on news. I believe ever since the middle of the 80s to now, news is propaganda of the spirit of the Antichrist. I believe that all news media is propaganda. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to be political with that. No matter what news source you listen to, I believe that we're not reporting news anymore, that we're propagating things. So um, I did hear the other day and I believe that the, what the propaganda is coming from is, as we've learned in Revelation, the spirit of the Antichrist. I believe there's partial truth in the things that are being communicated. So what I did hear the other day was um, a certain group of, a certain sect of a political party has been, plan has been planning to hit the grid, to hit the power grid. And what I've experienced over the past 10 years of watching news media is whenever the news media starts to communicate things, then certain things are about to happen. And I know I'm stepping on some toes or pushing you guys a little bit. Probably most of this should be private conversation stuff, but there's not many people here today, so it's basically a private conversation. So we started to see... Um, We started to see, um, even before COVID, I'm questioning whether I should even say anything, 2016, 2017, we started to hear from the news media that it is, a virus is coming. It will happen. A virus will come. And when they were presenting that, it was as if, just based upon the world and science, a virus will end up happening. So in 2016, 2017, they were propagating or sharing with us that it's inevitable that a virus will come. And then 2019, a virus came. Now, I will not say whether I believe that that was a planned virus or an unplanned virus, but they were right. Somehow they were right. So then now what they've, and we all have to be able to deal with some of this fear because what I'm sharing is kind of scary. And 
what we have to realize is life is not what it seems to be. So what, what I've been hearing recently is that a certain sect of right-wing extremists have been planning a hit on the grid. So what they've been planning is to knock out a power grid and then we no longer have power. So that's been in all this mainstream news media. I believe possibly that the spirit of the Antichrist is operating, operating through news media and exposing their plans. Now you say, Joey, why are you sharing this during church? Well, it's just this whole grand scheme of things is I still believe that the spirit of the Antichrist is pushing high places to create chaos within the world because I do not believe that the book of Revelation is going to happen overnight. There's going to be certain events like a crisis of money. And the Antichrist will... Uh, I didn't have, this is all free, so hopefully, God, I hope that I'm honoring you, and let me know if I'm not. Um, the spirit of the Antichrist, when we're going to get into the mark of the beast today, one of the things that's going to end up happening is there's not going to be money, right? All the money in the world and the United States and the dollar, it's all going to go to kaput. It's not, there's not going to be any value in it. So the World economics is going to be nothing. Your dollar is going to mean nothing. So the spirit of the Antichrist, the Antichrist and the beasts, what they're going to end up doing is they're going to use that against the church. They're going to use that against people. So when we think of a lot of the money that we've been sending out as a nation and a lot of the um, obvious things that even me, can understand financially that I say, why would we do this? Why would we do this? Why would we do this? Well, I believe it's the spirit of the Antichrist preparing whether the time is now or in the future an economic society that is completely unstable. It's scary, is it not? So you start to say, why, why would our leadership do this? Why would the leadership do that? Well, because the spirit of the Antichrist is leading them. So when the world economics, when we have global financial collapse, there will be a leader that comes in to fix everything. And what I believe that will be is a global currency that is overseen by one institution. And then that one institution will then tell you that if you want to buy or to sell anything, you must receive the mark of their organization, which would be the mark of the beast. Now, how do you destabilize something as strong as America? Well, you start making up money and sending it places. And then you also knock out the power grid. Right, I mean, it's just basic stuff. And I know there's a lot of, um, none of what I'm saying is, necessarily, it's biblical, but it's not biblical, right? I'm, I'm, I'm connecting a few things in my mind, and, and hopefully I'm wrong. But why is it important that we understand some of these things, and we're ready at all times, because we can see the book of Revelation coming to pass. When we see 
all of these things coming, we must be ready. And it frustrates me because I really enjoyed track this year. And I really enjoy watering the flowers most days with Macy. If I'm really tired, I'm like, do we really have to water them? I enjoy mowing grass. I enjoy meeting with you guys in church. I enjoy meeting with you guys outside of church. I enjoy life. It's great. So then for me to think that if what I'm postulating is true, then that means life might not be what I want it to be next year or the year after. And that's a hard reality for me to swallow. So then when I hit that reality, I say to myself, do I love this life or do I love Jesus? Do I put my stock in this life and the future or do I put my stock in Jesus? And um, on the girls' 4x4 team, we had three girls that are returning next year. So they've created this idea of the hunt. Where's the fourth? Where's the fourth? Where's the fourth? Who is the next girl that will be on the team? So then I start postulating, who's the fourth? Who's the fourth? And then I have to slow down because I say, wait a second. I just need to enjoy right now. Because we don't know if tomorrow is promised. Do you know if tomorrow is promised? Do you know what next year is going to look like? We're on the verge of World War III, potentially. Some even say we're already participating in World War III. It's just a silent war. We have all these questions about why leaders from five years ago, 10 years ago, or current leaders are doing certain things. My belief would be it's because it's all leading towards the end. It's not going to happen overnight. And we don't like that because we want everything to go back to 1980s normal, 1990s normal early 2000s or mid-2000s normal, or how about just pre-COVID normal? We keep on fighting for what was normal. And the fact of the matter is, it might not ever go back. So, with all that free stuff today, we need to start calculating, not like, we just need to start using comprehension skills to observe the world and say, God, where are we? He's not gonna give us a date. But you know when the wind blows from the west that a storm is coming in. So essentially what Jesus is saying is if you, if you know that a storm's coming in, you can also interpret the times. You can know that the end is near. So then I also ask you rhetorically, church, if the end is near, why are you upset? If the end is near, why are you upset? Well, you would be upset because your stock is in this life rather than in heaven. So then as a believer, we have to ask ourselves, why is my stock on earth more than it is in heaven? And then that means that I need to change something about my perspective. I need to change something about my relationship with Christ because I shouldn't desire this life more than I desire a life with him in heaven. Amen? So, Revelation chapter 13. You know what's great about the Bible, though, is this. 
is part of my postulations come because the Bible warns us, warns us of things to come. And the Bible warns us of things to come so that we are not deceived. I heard a story once about a dog owner. This dog owner, what they ended up doing is they said, hey, I need to get my dog from this side of the country back home. So they took the dog in as cargo, cargo um, checked it in, put it on the plane, flew it across the country to this person's home city. Upon getting, um, unloading the plane, they found the dog dead in the um, crate. So they freaked out. They said, what did we do wrong? We don't want to get sued. What are we going to do? So they found the dog, and being that it was a big flight um, company, they're able to make things happen quickly. So they told the, um, called the owner and said, hey, we sent your dog to a different city. Since we sent your dog to a different city, once we get it back here, we will call you and let you know. We'll even deliver it to your house. So within 24 hours, what they did is they went and they found a dog that was similar age, similar look, and said, we're going to bring it to the um, owner. And Macy and I are thinking like, yeah, like clearly not. Like if your dog's name is Lucky, when you say Lucky and it doesn't come, very clear, right? So they walk Lucky up to the owner. They knock on the house and they say, hey, we have Lucky for you. And the owner said, um, that's not my dog. My dog was dead. <laughs> I was bringing my dog here for burial. <laughs> so here's what's bad. When you know the truth, you can't be deceived. Right? When you know the truth, you can't be deceived. people, right? So as we read and we study the book of Revelation, the truth will keep us from being deceived. A blessing that comes with reading, hearing, and obeying the book of Revelation is that we won't be deceived. So the reason this is important, that we are not deceived, is because the Antichrist will come and deceive many. Second. Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So the Antichrist is coming and will deceive many. So I guess the rhetorical question, what's keeping you from being deceived? Now, a few things we know about the Antichrist so far. The Antichrist is coming. So 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that uh, Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So the Antichrist is coming. 
the Antichrist will be given authority and will be worshipped. Revelation 13, 8. All inhabitants on earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So we talked about that last week. The Antichrist will kill people. Will kill God's people. Revelation 13.10. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with a sword they will be killed. The Antichrist will have Christians beheaded. We're not there yet, but Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So Christians will be beheaded. The Antichrist will make a peace agreement with Israel. Daniel chapter 9, 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the one seven, he will put an end to, the, to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So he will break a covenant halfway through with Israel. The Antichrist will not be alone. He will be empowered by the dragon. Revelation 16, 13. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. The Antichrist's goal will be to deceive people. We'll see this later on today too, but Revelation 13, 13 and 14. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And then finally, during his reign, there will be a failing economy. Because of that, people will do just about anything for resources. How desperate, hypothetically, if the grid got hit today and you have, you run out of feed for your livestock, the grass, because it hasn't rained in a while, can't feed your cows or your sheep, you get through all your food and everything that you have and fighting off all the people who are trying to steal your goats and cows and milk and eggs. You fight off all them and then you watch your child not be able to eat. And you watch them go from 100 pounds to 65 pounds. 
And then someone comes and says, I have a solution for you. The solution is this. Follow me, serve me, receive this mark, and your kids will get treatment. Your kids will get food. What do you do? Because there's going to be a failing economy. There's going to be resources that are limited. Nevertheless, there are three important pieces to today's scripture. We learn about the second person of the beast. We see that the beast has power, and then we will talk about the beast's agenda. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. First, the second person of the beast. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So John here sees the second beast. The second beast is the false prophet. The first came out of the sea, which represented chaos or the abyss. But the second comes out of the earth. This could be inferring to um, the beast coming out of society. So this false prophet will be someone out of society rather than just coming out of hell, essentially, right? So he differs because the first came out of the sea and the abyss, and the one who came out of the sea and the abyss has great power. But the second coming out of the earth could likely mean that he comes with less power, physical power, but he will be more appealing and influential. So because he comes out of the earth, it might be a candidate, right? A presidential candidate, or some have suggested a pope. There's gonna be some kind of leader, but he will be highly influential. The first beast had seven heads and 10 horns, while the second beast only has two horns. I believe that this is also pointing to the fact that the false prophet doesn't have the same abilities as the Antichrist. So last week was the Antichrist. This week is the false prophet. So um, see, the Antichrist comes waging war, while the false prophet comes like a lamb. The scripture said, appearing like a lamb. So he's appearing as if he is good. He will act more subtly than the Antichrist. He will appear meek and gentle, yet he will have a lot of authority. He will perform miracles to deceive people into worshiping the beast's image. He will duplicate miracles like Elijah. And the lifeless beast comes back to life. He will force people to receive the mark of the beast or they will suffer. And his plan is to deceive people into following Satan. So this is the second person of the beast. The first was the Antichrist. The second is the false prophet. Now, this false prophet has power. Verse 12 
It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So the false prophet's goal is to make people on earth worship the Antichrist. He's essentially the hype man or the campaign leader for the Antichrist's rule. He will do this through sly propaganda and matching miracles. These consist of, but are not limited to, the Antichrist will receive a fatal wound to his head, and then he is healed. A fatal wound to the head, and then he is healed. He comes back to life three days later. Now, Jesus is the creator, God is the creator, and Satan is the replicator. So here's, here's what I ask you today. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe Jesus? How do you know, how do you know that he is the way? Now, I'm preaching him as the way. I'm, I'm not trying to be divisive here, but how do you know? Let your heart be challenged a little bit. Because Jesus came with the real miracles, did he not? The real resurrection, real truth, real life. But now the same power in the end of time is coming, or a similar power, not same. So he receives a fatal wound to the head and then is healed. This is the idea of replicating the cross in Jesus' resurrection. After that, the false prophet will perform great signs and even cause fire to come down from heaven to earth. How many of you guys have ever said to yourself, if I saw a miracle, I would certainly believe God more? That's where the church is deceived too. That's where you're deceived. If you think that you would see a miracle that you would believe, well, maybe you would believe, maybe you wouldn't. I mean, the disciples followed Jesus around and they even had their unbelief. They said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. But because the heart is deceitful above all else, what we end up doing is we think that if we had something else that we would be more convinced. The only way that we become more convinced is that if we would repent of our sins and trust him, not see another miracle. Now, I do believe in miracles. I believe that our God is a miracle worker. Nevertheless, the um, yeah, so these miracles happen. After the false prophet, yeah, he'll perform. Even fire comes down from heaven. And this is a fabrication like that of Elijah. He's trying to appear as if he has the power of Elijah as well. See, in Elijah's story, it was a sign that was given to Elijah when the fire of heaven fell and burned up his sacrifice on Mount Carmel. 
when he prayed that God would prove that he was God by burning up his sacrifice. So we can find that in 1 Kings 18. So the Antichrist is replicating. 1 Kings 18, 37 and 38. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you are Lord, that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their heads, hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So fire comes from heaven. So the Antichrist is replicating these miracles or the, actually the um, false prophet. Therefore, the false prophet performs these miracles and people begin to follow him. Deception will be wherever he goes. Now, I'm sure you are assured you won't be deceived, right? Surely you won't be deceived. Surely Christians won't be deceived. But one author talks about um, Islam eschatology. And I want to pre present to you what their study has said today. So essentially, Islam has an eschatology like you and I have an eschatology. Now, Eschatology is the idea of how the end and the final events of the world will come to place. It's the study of that. So um, most of the time, Christians know nothing about Islamic eschatology. So you're like, why are you teaching Islamic eschatology in here? Because we have to see where the deceit will come. So Islam's view of Christians are this. They refer, uh, refer to Jews and Christians as people of the book. So the Bible is the book, right? They believe our books, the Old Testament and the New Testament, have been corrupted. So they hold that the Quran, Quran um, as the only reliable source of revelation. So the only reliable source for Anything truthful comes from the Quran. They, um, the word Quran is the direct words of Allah. And uh, Sunnah equals the words and works of Muhammad, the prophet. So Islam believes the end times will be ushered in by three great signs. The Mahdi uh, will come. The equivalent, the Mahdi is the equivalent of the Messiah uh, or the guided one. He will set up a new world order, an Islamic caliphate um, that is civil, political, and spiritual. He will lead a revolution to establish Islam throughout the world. So if Jews and Christians refuse to convert, they will be killed. The army of black flags is what they will be called. They will conquer Jerusalem and kill the Jews. He will make a peace agreement with the Jews and the West for seven years in the Quran. And he will come back 
on a white horse. Interesting, right? Now, to them, Jesus will come. And to them, Jesus was a man who lived, but he was a man who just didn't die. So there was no resurrection. There was no atonement for sin. Spared, um, spared at the crucifixion. He never happened, but he was just ascended to heaven. Now he's waiting for Allah to send him back to earth. Allah will send Jesus back to earth to correct all Christians who have misunderstood who he is. He will return as a radical Muslim who will help the Mahdi establish Islam on the whole earth and abolish Christianity. He will stand behind Mahdi to show that Mahdi is greater than him. And then he will kill the Ja'ul. Uh, he will get married, have a family. He will die and be uh, buried next to Muhammad. So that's essentially kind of what uh, Islam would believe. Now, the Ja'ul will come. Now, the Muslim, the Ja'ul is the Muslim's version of the Antichrist. And he will try to kill the Mahdi. And Jesus will try to rule the world. The full name, as I'll try to say, is Al-Masa Ad-Ja'ul. Um, the Messiah, the deceiver, a false miracle worker will claim to be Jesus and will claim to be God. He will claim to be the defender of the Jews. So they completely oppose what we believe. And here, yeah, so the difference is, is this, is the Bible's antichrist appears to be Islam's savior. The Bible's false prophet um, is Jesus Christ, is Islam's Jesus Christ, right? And the Bible, uh, the Bible's returning Christ is Islam's Antichrist. So we're serving the opposites. Islam's Antichrist is Jesus. Our Antichrist is the devil through other religions. So here's where deceit comes in and why it's important for us to study the Bible. Both sides perform miracles. The Bible is telling us that this opposite side is coming and this opposite side will come back to life, will resurrect a grave. This opposite side will be able to call fire down from heaven. There will be many great signs that come. This opposing side So with that, both sides perform miracles and both sides alleged to a savior and the equivalent of the Antichrist. Both sides are accusing the other side of being wrong. So I ask you today, how do you know that you're right? How do you know that you're right? The Bible is truth and inspired words. How do you know that you're right? See, miracles can't be your marker for following someone. They will happen all of the time. So I ask you, how do you know that you are following the right path? Now, 
the way that has convinced me that I'm following the right path is not because of myself, but because of God's grace. He allowed me to meet the person of Jesus through his grace, through his word, through worship, and through prayer. It was because of his grace. It was not me that chose him. It was him who chose me. It's not you who chose him. It's him who chose you. And through his grace, then I read his word. And his word is inspired. And as I read his word, his word comes alive within me. And because his word comes alive within me, it pushes me to want to worship him. It pushes me to want to obey him. And it pushes me to want to talk to him. So for me, it's not just because the Bible tells me so. It can't be just because the Bible tells me so. I know that I'm right because I know him, because I have a relationship with him. He's not. I'm sorry if you've never heard from God, but it is a promise that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you that those who seek him will find him when they seek him with their whole heart. It's not a favoritism thing. I haven't experienced God because he favors me above you. Maybe I've experienced God because I've tried to empty myself when in reality we can't empty ourselves. I've given him maybe point zero 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 point five percent I said, God, here it is. I'm sorry. I've experienced the reality of who Jesus is. He is real. He loves us. He wants to commune with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to walk in the garden with us. But we're so deceived by wanting to do everything else in life that we miss it. We have too many other things to accomplish even today. I guarantee you during this sermon, some of you guys have thought about what you have to get done or what you're going to eat or what your schedule is the rest of the week. And if we can't give our attention during church, how are we going to give our attention while we're at home with our to-do lists. I know Jesus because he speaks to me, not audibly. Because I speak to him. Because he leads me and I try to follow him. I think I have a friendship with him. I think I have a relationship with him. The words of the Bible are coming alive in my life. So when, hypothetically, next year this Antichrist comes and he's ruling and he's reigning and the false prophet comes and he's ruling and he's reigning and there's miracles that are happening. Money's just growing on trees. I, money's just growing on trees for people and people are coming back to life. What's going to keep me from following? And he's preaching Joey, the God that you're following is false. He's the liar. Here's, I have everything that you've ever wanted right here if you would just submit to me and follow me. My mind sees it. My mind sees the power. Why would I not follow? Because I already have a relationship, one that I know is him. I know him. He knows me. And that's something that we have to be willing to die for far greater than anything else. 
there is a deceit that is coming that will deceive many unless they have relationship, a true relationship with Christ. So we come in here and we go through the motions. We go through the motions. Sometimes we raise our hands because it's emotional. But you can raise your hands and not know him. You can come to church every week and not know him. You might even religiously be able to open up your Bible and not know him. Because what happens is we just think going through the motions is knowing him. Going through the motions in marriage is not knowing Macy. It's far greater than just a title. So if we want to know him, we have to prioritize time with him. You've heard me say it hundreds of times. You must be willing to hate your father, hate your mother, hate your brother, hate your sister, even hate your own life. And then what Christ says is you must be willing to give up everything for him. So does that mean you should hate your father, hate your mother, hate your brother, hate your sister, even hate your own life? No. What uh, Jesus is explicitly telling us is this, is he must be in a far distinct place above everything else. Jesus your spouse. And a lot of you guys have your kids here and then your spouse here, and biblically that's wrong too. Sorry. Spouse, Jesus, spouse, kids, retirement, what people think of you, the cars. Jesus has to be far above everything else. And the reason why America's heading where it's heading, the reason why the world is heading where it's heading is because many hearts are growing cold. The hearts of many are growing cold and Jesus is no longer in a distinct place. And based upon my understanding of the hearts that are growing cold is what scripture is insinuating is the hearts had to be warm first. So it's not talking about the world. If it was talking about the world, why do, why do we need to be told that the world's hearts are cold? We already know that. So what that scripture is talking about is when many hearts grow cold, it's talking about the church's hearts are growing cold. So is your heart growing cold today? And if your heart's growing cold today, do you know him? Can you repent today? Can you prioritize him today? So what's convinced me to follow him he speaks to me, I speak to him, he leads me, I try to follow. There's a friendly relationship. There's history. God, I've had good times with you and I've had bad times with you. And every time I've been brokenhearted, you've met me. I believe for those who stand firm in the end will be those who have a personal relationship with God. That's it. A personal relationship. I talk to my dad every day on the phone. We have a personal relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with God? I ask you today, have you heard him speak to you? How often do you speak to him? Do you love being in his presence? Do you read your Bible daily to get to know who he is? Or are you just leaving it all up to chance? I urge you today to draw near to God. He will draw near to you.
If you don't um, draw near to him, if you don't prioritize him, if you don't have a relationship with him, you are positioned to be deceived in the end of time. I don't want to be positioned to be deceived. Mark 13, 22. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, even those who don't have, or even those who have a relationship with Christ, if possible. So what it's saying is those who have a real relationship with Christ, they're going to be okay. They know him. But those who don't, those who are wishy-washy, who just go through the motions of religion, hoping, here's what I need to be explicitly clear on. You don't need to hope to know God. I promise you this. It's, I don't even need to promise you this. Scripture promises you this. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you want to know him, you can be known by him. Period. Second Thessalonians uh, 2, 9, and 10. I read this earlier. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders to serve the lie in all of the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. So the Antichrist is coming to deceive you, to deceive your grandchildren and children and great-grandchildren. How do you prevent that? So the agenda that this Antichrist, that this beast will have, verse 15, Revelation chapter 13, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So to further his deceit, the beast breathes life into an image. He breathes life into an image. That's crazy. What this really means is this, is there's likely some kind of statue of the beast. And um, the second beast, the false prophet, breathes life into it and it comes to life. So fires come down from heaven, um, resurrected three days, uh, a fatal wound to the head, resurrected three days later. And now you just have this statue or image, maybe it's a picture, and he breathes life into it and it comes to life. We follow people for far less. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're traveling the country following miracle workers, humans. We're chasing conferences and the anointing for far less. That's why I'm scared for people who conference chase, who travel following these miracle workers. These miracle workers very well may be operating out of the name of Jesus and healing people in the name of Jesus and be Jesus' followers and written in the good book of life. But if our, if our nature is just to follow these people, I think we're in trouble. Nevertheless, life is breathed into the statue and it comes to life. This is crazy. Why would you not believe that this being, that this person isn't God? 
You've never seen anything like that. Yet this is an act to replicate and deceive what God does, deceive you and replicate what God does. You guys remember in Genesis 2, 7, right? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See how complicated this is going to be for a generation of people who face the end of time? Because the Bible is telling us that God, in the beginning of time, breathed life into the dust of the earth, and man was formed. Now, the duplicator, the replicator, the Antichrist, is going to breathe breath into a statue or an image, whatever it is, and it's going to come to life. How do you know that you're following the right God? I might get some emails from this one. I don't know. Because th this, is, this is stepping toes on the very core of what we believe, is it not? And this is why we have to discuss it so that we're not deceived. So the beast's agenda is to deceive you. And if he has that much power, then how are we being deceived today? One of the greatest prayers that I believe that I pray is I ask God how I'm deceived. And I know that he's um, patient. If, if he exposed me all that I was deceived by in one sitting, I probably couldn't live. Right? But in his time as I pray that prayer, he just reveals areas where I'm deceived. Ask God how you're deceived. Because the beast's agenda is to be worshipped. And that's why he has all this power. He desires to be worshipped. What did God... What does God want from us? Worship. What does God want from us? A relationship. Now, what does the beast want? Worship. So the beast desires to be worshipped. This beast that comes will cause all of those who do not worship him to be killed. So he continues his agenda in verse 16. And the beast's agenda is for the people of the earth to pledge allegiance to him. Verse 16, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could buy or sell, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So they are required to receive a mark. Um, so this could be a tattoo. This could be a barcode. This could be a chip. This could be a brand. This could be anything. In John's era, a brand or a tattoo would be identified or a brand or a tattoo identified a slave or allegiance to a certain cult. So hypothetically, Jerry right here is my slave. I would brand him because he's my slave. So whatever the barcode, I put it here, I put it here. And that would mean that you can't escape it, right? Your allegiance is with me as the rightful owner. Well, certain cults, what they would do is they also brand 
um, brand you as well. And that would say, hey, you're a part of this, this cult. So this beast requires that if you want to buy or sell anything, that you would be sealed with his mark so that you would promise allegiance to him. This is, the, this is a counterfeit action. See, you and I are sealed too. We're sealed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So remember, God seals 144,000 people in the book of Revelation. Now the enemy is sealing his following. So God says, hey, and you know, if you remember, we talked about the 144,000 and whether it's an actual 144,000, I believe that the 144,000 represents God peoples, not the Jews. If you have questions about that, you can go back to that sermon. But I believe that 12 times 12, 144,000, right? Or 12,000 times 12,000, the tribes. It's a completeness, it's a wholeness of the church. So I believe that God seals his people during that time. So God seals Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one way to heaven, seals his people during the end. He seals you and I today as well. And the enemy, who's the replicator, guess what he does? He tries to seal his people. So you see how there's similarities and differences in how there's not really a fine line, but maybe there's a fine line. It's going to appear and look highly similar. So God seals the 144,000. Now the enemy is sealing his. If they align with him, he will protect them. If they don't, he will make them suffer or he will kill them. One author reminds us, the mark will show that they are loyal to the Antichrist. The Roman emperors of John's day required that their subjects to prove their loyalty by once a year offering a sacrifice to Caesar. Those who refused, like those who refused to take the mark of the beast, were subject to execution. Going a step further, the false prophet required the mark to be shown in order to buy or sell anything. The Antichrist empire will maintain strict economic control over the world. Food and other necessities of life will be in short supply on the earth, and, uh, on the earth, devastated by the tribulation, and will be unobtainable for those without the mark. So remember what we're learning today in comparison to what we learned a few weeks ago. You guys remember what happens to the sea? You guys remember what happened to the earth's vegetation? You remember what happened to the cargo ships and the ships in the ocean and the sun? Now the Antichrist is navigating through this. Crazy. So I believe what, um, I guess the book of Revelation chapter 13 calls us to at the very end is this, is a call to knowledge. I think that's what I'm hoping that we all do today is a call to knowledge. Increase our knowledge of him. Increase our knowledge of the word. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. 
John is warning those who are alive to have wisdom. I'm warning you today to have wisdom. The scriptures are warning you today to have wisdom. It is scary to think about. A lot of the older-than-me generation, even my generation, we say, man, it's scary for the school-age kids. I'm worried for the kids. I'm worried for the kids. I'm worried for the grandkids. It seems like everything's, quote, going to hell, unquote. And it appears to be that. Now, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, and my heart is not sick because in a moment, things can change. In a moment, another Esther could, could be in place, right? Or a Martin. <laughs> Anything can change in a moment. I do think that the Antichrist every hundred years makes a strong push. I believe we saw that at World War II. We saw that with Hitler. We saw a strong push to almost antagonize God to send his son for a return. I think right now we're experiencing the same thing. Um, my honest opinion is I think it's just begun. God might provide someone in 10 years or five years but my hope is not in life getting better here. My hope is not in my earthly future here. My hope is that Jesus is who he said he was and that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. No more pain, no more suffering. Reunited with our friends and loved ones for the rest of eternity. In church, we have put too much hope in this earth. So there's a call to knowledge. There's a call to wisdom here at the end of this chapter. John is warning us to have wisdom. This wisdom comes from knowing Jesus, and this wisdom comes from knowing the word. There are many ways to assume that you can calculate this number, though, right? It's always an interesting piece that people want to... Um, try to figure out. And there's decoding systems that people say are biblical. There's decoding systems that people said that they've received revelation for. There's decoding systems that essentially just make the name whatever you want it to be, right? So there's some people who are just like, oh, Bill Gates, Antichrist. Well, well, why? Well, because I did the calculations in my head. Who knows? Now, as we talked about last week, there are many types of antichrists. There's anyone who opposes God, that's an antichrist. Anyone who doesn't teach the Bible is an antichrist. I've never heard Bill Gates talk about Jesus Christ as the Messiah, Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, that a sin is a sin. So in theory, the people who call Bill Gates an antichrist, they're right. I could be wrong. No, I don't want to be careful of not accusing him. I've never heard him proclaim faith in Jesus. I have seen them actually wear jewelry of um, demonic, demonic necklaces. So if you type in Bill Gates, demonic jewelry, you'll see it. So um, how would you feel if I wore some demonic jewelry up here of a Satan necklace? You probably wouldn't say I'm a Christian. You'd probably be like, 
we need to deliver you and we probably need to get rid of you. I'm not here to say who the Antichrist is because here's what I believe about this system. I'm not sure that we have the decoding system right now to understand who represents 666. Um, I believe that what will end up happening is during the time of tribulation, God will reveal to those who are seeking him this, um, this ability. Somehow during that season, I believe that God will help us or them um, understand how to decode through wisdom and through his word who it is. But here's, here's what we also understand. We will clearly know who the Antichrist is. So today we've learned a lot, but the simple point is this. Um, there's a call to knowledge, but also there's a call to create a personal and private place with God. Know him intimately and deeply. And nothing else should even come close to that. It's not, it's not disappointing for me as a leader, but I do wonder why why do we as an American church or why do we as a church when we give altar calls, why are we so prideful? Again, you're like, well, I don't need to respond at the altar. I don't need to respond at the altar. I can respond at my house. Why do you even go there? Why does our heart even allow us to go to the place that I don't, I don't need to respond at the altar? Isn't that pride? No, yeah, I agree with you. You don't have to respond at the altar. But the idea of I don't have to, that's pride, that's fear, that's worry. So why is it that um, we don't just create that private place, that we don't just repent? Because our nation will look a whole lot different if we just had a bunch of believers who were like, I'm messed up and I need help. I need prayer. I want to know him more. Don't we want to know him more? Don't we all have things that we're tired of dealing with in our life that we need help with? Again, the blind man who Jesus, when he spit in the dirt, he spit in the dirt and he made some mud and then he put it on his eyes. And he said, hey, look, go over to that well and wash your face. What healed the man? Was it the spit in the dirt? Or was it the obedience? I think it was the obedience. Because if it was the spit in the dirt, he would have been healed the moment he touched his eyes. So it just frustrates me sometimes. Like, we can experience breakthrough. We, we, we can get to know him more. The reason why I know Jesus more is because as a high school kid or a junior high kid that I was willing in the midst of you older people in fear, my fear, I said, God, I don't care what the older people think of me. I don't care what my friends think of me. I don't care what the church thinks of me. I'm going to respond. And I respond up here. And some of the most distinct moments of ever experiencing him happened because I didn't care, care what man thought. I didn't care what my parents thought. Because sometimes, like, you know, in, in my house growing up, we talked about God. We talked about praying. We talked about doing what was right. But those intimate places, those are always kind of scary to share with a loved one. Especially when you have your parents and siblings there and you just walk up and respond 
And then it's like, you don't even know what you tell them afterwards. Like, what do you tell them when you come back to your seat? What do you tell them when you get back home? Do they even ask the question? Like, you, you wrestle with all these reasons of why I shouldn't respond or why I'm afraid to respond. And until we're willing to, to say, I'm done with that, get rid of it all, then who are we following? Ourself or him? So a way to get to know him is just to follow him, to obey him. And I think God has called this church to a greater response in worship. I think God has called this church to a greater response in community. I think God has called this church to a greater response in worship, in daily obedience. And I think that God has called individuals in this church to a greater response in prayer and a greater response in fasting and a greater response at the altar. He has. Because he doesn't want us leading. We keep on leading and then saying, you meet us. And he says, no, church, stop. Stop. You are not the leader. He says, not me. But he would say, I am the leader and you follow me. Those are his words, not mine, right? I want to make that clear. But we just keep on saying, I'm going to lead. And then when I have time. So the way that we get to know him and solidify a relationship with him is obedience. And deacons have begun to have this conversation and elders have mentioned it. Sometimes people say, I want a really deep word from MCF. Or sometimes we even consider ourselves a deep church. We don't want that whatever, shallow word, we want a deep word. If I'm honest, I don't think I ever preach deep. I don't think I do. I don't think I'm up here giving you the Greek, the Hebrew, the original language of things, or this and that that you guys have never heard. I think, I honestly believe that my preaching is so baseline that it's not deep at all. But I don't think we have to have the deep things of preaching because I think what's deep is obedience. Don't say you have a deep relationship with God or don't say that this is a deep church until we're obedient. I'm not accusing anyone. Please don't hear me accusing anyone because there's been a lot of good things in the sermon today and what the enemy's going to do is deceive you somehow and then you're going to be mad at me as you walk out of here and that's the only thing you're going to be fixated on. God wants your obedience. And the only way to solidify your relationship is to obey him. What does scripture tell us? Those who obey my word know me. Obey his word today. Obey the response that he's cultivating within you. And maybe today you don't even feel like repenting. But you know you have some things in your life. So you say, God, I want to repent. I know that these are wrong. Help me turn from them. Reveal to me the areas that I'm deceived. What if Mechanicsburg, Christian Fellowship, was the church that repented and revival broke out because there was people who were willing to lay down their life, obey him, and repented? Repentance changes everything. But I felt the anointing of God when I was talking about God has called us to worship, to pray, to fast, to respond. 
The anointing of God was on that. So there is a call for us as individuals to respond to him greater today. So let's just pray for a second and see what we might do. So Father, um, just ask that you would lead this moment. Is there anyone who feels like they have a strong word? Not like a strong word, but your heart's beating. You feel like you just have to share it. You already had the thought before I even said something. All right, Father, um, I thank you for your grace because as strong as maybe the word came across the past 15, 20 minutes, Father, it's not about what we do, it's about your grace. So I thank you for that. But your grace is calling us to more. So may we feel that so that we know you. Your grace is not an excuse to live however we want, Father. Wake us up. Wake us up today, Father. So, Father, just speak to the souls and the spirits of people today. And I say, come alive. Dry bones, come alive. Spirits, come alive today. Father, we speak to the spirits being willing, but the flesh being weak. And we say, uh, flesh, come alive today. Father, we ask for more grace here at MCF. In Jesus' name.